O God, our Father, we pause to dedicate these gifts which we have brought with us to church this morning to the holy cause of showing the love of the Lord Jesus to others. We pray that thou wilt superintend their use and that thou wilt bless us in the act of giving. And now, Father, we pray that the gracious ministry of the Holy Spirit may cause our thoughts and our words in this meditation to be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer, amen. Once upon a time, a little five-year-old boy and his father spent the day in the woods, hiking and walking. As they were returning home late in the afternoon, the father said to his small companion, we've had a good time today, you and I, but you must never run away alone from me and go into the woods by yourself. Why, ask the child, as children have a way of asking fathers? Because, replied the father, you might get lost and you wouldn't know where to go and I wouldn't be able to find you. But the little boy replied, if I got lost, I would just tell God and he would come and take me right by the hand and lead me back home again. Wouldn't he? Wouldn't he, Dad? Dad, wouldn't God come and take me back? What would you say to a little boy who asked you that question? It's a very challenging question. Something is wrong in our whole country today, and some people are asking, where is God? Why doesn't he come and take us by the hand and lead us where we ought to be. Do you ever ask yourself that question? Well, God came, and the answer to the little boy's question is this. Honey, it might be a long time, and he might not come in just the way that you expect him to come, and he might lead you in a way that you really didn't expect him to lead you. But he'd come all right, and he'd show you the way home. One of the ways in which God has shown us the way home is here this morning, in this open Bible, at this pulpit, but especially at this communion table. You see, man wandered away from God, and he got lost, and he got mean. And he broke his fellowship with his brother until he killed him. And he broke his fellowship with God and disobeyed him. And so he's been lost and wandering ever since. And God took the initiative calling out to him, asking him in the deep, dark recesses of his soul, Adam, where are you? Finally, when his patriarchs and his psalmists and his prophets couldn't get the message across, God came down into this world to teach us about himself and to show us 
the way to home and to understanding with him and with each other. But we didn't like God. We really didn't believe what he said. And so we took him and nailed him to a cross of wood and hung him up to die. But he didn't die and stay dead. He came back to life again. He came back to life and took the very instrument of torture on which we had killed him and made it a way by which we could be reconciled and find our way home to each other and home to himself. But it's a way that we sometimes don't like. It's a way of humility. And Jesus, when he came to that night before that awful crucifixion, realizing that within just a few hours he would be forsaken by his own and crucified, he gave them a commemoration of the Passover, that old, old Passover that I read a while ago from Exodus about how God had delivered his people at one point in history. Jesus told them of a new Passover, a new deliverance that would be accomplished through his own broken body and his own shed blood. And John, for some reason, does not tell us about the Lord's Supper. But John tells us about something else that took place that night. John tells us, and I think in answer to a quarrel that had arisen amongst them as to who would be the greatest. Maybe Peter, because he was always the spokesman for the group, assumed that he was the head. And when they had walked in, because they didn't have any slaves, no one came and washed their feet, as was the custom in that time. And Jesus was so much upon his mind and heart hearing their quarreling, did what the prophets in the Old Testament often did. He acted out a little drama, like Jeremiah used to do when he would take a vessel and walk out in front of the church and throw it down on the floor. And when it crashed into pieces, Jeremiah would say, just like this vessel is broken, God will crash this nation of ours if it doesn't repent. Or Jeremiah coming out with a yoke around his neck and illustrating to all the congregation that God would enslave his people if they did not turn from their sins and back unto him. So Jesus, taking the approach of one of these old prophets, acts out a drama while they're quarreling. He gets up, lays aside his outer garment, takes a towel and fastens it around himself, walks over and picks up a cheap bowl and a pitcher full of water and pours it into it and sits down at their feet and reaches out and takes hold of their skin, their flesh, their bone, and begins to wash their dirty feet. This shows something of the humility of our Lord Paul writes about it in the second chapter of Philippians, that he took upon himself the form of a servant, literally. 
the form of a slave. And we in our churches, sometimes with our vestments and our bishops' croziers and our papal crowns, I wonder if we haven't gotten a long way from the towel that Jesus fastened around himself and the love and the humility that he shows here. Then, showing to his disciples that they would find their happiness only through that dignity of humble service toward one another, he comes to Peter. Impulsive to the very last, Peter says, you'll never wash my feet. I think he must have been ashamed that he hadn't done something like this himself. Jesus said, Peter, if I, if I don't wash your feet, then you cannot have any part with me in my kingdom. And then Peter, just as impulsive, says, Lord, not my feet only, but my head and my face and my hand. Then Jesus tells him, when a man has bathed and has washed himself, as you are when you're engrafted into Christ in Christian baptism, then you do not have to be washed anymore except your feet from the defilement that you would pick up on the streets. So Jesus is speaking to us in a parable of the cleansing power of his love. We who come four times a year or more to celebrate this Holy Supper are reminded once again by these tokens of the forgiveness which God accomplished once and for all for us at the cross. But when we go away from Holy Communion, we should go away refreshed and renewed and feeling that sense of cleansing which is ours in that work all together again with a pledge and a rededication to him. A student asked me this week when I said, are you going to be at communion Sunday? She said, what's communion? Communion is like friendship, only better. If you have a friend, you have to spend some time with him. You have to sacrifice for him. You've got to forgive him for his faults, and he's got to forgive you for yours. You have to have some mutual interests. Some of you are forming friendships here. Then when you really come to an understanding of each other and a love and affection for each other, you have fellowship. You enjoy each other's company. There is an understanding that exists there. This is the way it's meant with this worldwide communion. Those of us who belong to Jesus Christ ought to understand each other, and we ought to love each other, and we ought to feel it very especially when we come to this table. In fact, it's absolutely essential that we feel it. You can't take this supper aright if you're holding a grudge against someone. Jesus says you may have to leave your gift at the altar and go and be reconciled to your brother and then come and take it. 
You see the cleansing effect, the renewing effect of communion here? This love that fuses us together in this fellowship which is ours? There is a wonderful verse in 1 John that says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. So that's communion. And then it's also a sacrament. And the sacrament is a visible sign of something that's taken place that's holy. I have a pen here. And if I sign my name on a document, that signature is very much like a sacrament. In a court of law, the lawyers and the judge would look at that and say, that's your signature. You signed your name here. That indicates that you have made some agreement. This is God's signature. It indicates that God has made an agreement, a covenant, a promise with us. That when we give ourselves to him through his son, Jesus Christ, he gives to us through his son, Jesus Christ, full and total and complete forgiveness of our sin. So just as really as you pick up a piece of bread and touch it and put it in your mouth and chew it, just that really did Jesus die on a cross for you. It's not a fairy tale. It's something that actually happened. It's real. That just as really as you take that tiny little cup and taste it, just so real did the blood of Jesus come from his body on a cross in order that you might be forgiven of your sins. God put our sins on him. That's the meaning of that sacrament. It's there. It means that I have communion with God, fellowship with him, fellowship with other Christians, and it means that I have God's promise of forgiveness. And what does this do for his followers? There's a beautiful old legend that after the resurrection, Jesus returned to heaven. And when he got to the gates of heaven, an angel met him there. And he said, I noticed from up here that your disciples all fled to the winds there in the garden. But they came back to you, and you instructed them, and now you've returned home. And the angel said, what plans do you have if your men don't carry out the assignment which you've given them? And the Lord Jesus Christ and the legend replies to the angel, I have no other plans. I trust my men. This communion, when you take it, is Christ's way of saying to you, I trust you to be a Christian. I trust you to live for me. At 11 minutes past four in the morning, on July the 21st, last summer, I watched on television, as probably you did, when that swirl of dust came up 
and that spider-like vehicle landed on the surface of the moon. The eagle had landed and man was on the moon. Encapsulated in that vehicle was a young Presbyterian man by the name of Buzz Aldrin who took with him, of all things, some bread that had been consecrated to God at a communion service. And Buzz Aldrin had his own little communion service in that vehicle and read those old words and tasted that bread to remind him of the love of his Savior again. And we need to know that love today. We need it here in our schools. We need it in our homes. And if this nation doesn't have a return to it, God only knows what's going to happen to it. Communion. Forgiveness. Fellowship. All of this is grace, which is that unmerited love and that charm of Jesus Christ. Let us bow in prayer. O oh God, our Heavenly Father, as we come to celebrate with all of these Christians around the world this sacred supper once again, we pray that you will help us to take this supper seriously, to take it freely, and to take it with gratitude in our hearts for the forgiveness which we have and the hope which we have. Bless us, O oh God, that we from this communion may strengthen one another and bring that salt and that light and that love of Christ to the world about us. In his name we pray. Amen.